Hey guys, Nick here, taking a quick break so that I can tell you about Dioli's Italian Market, my family business. We've been located in Winston-Salem since 2007, and we've been a vital part of the Wake Forest community for students, athletes, coaches, and faculty, and the Winston-Salem community as well. You guys have heard guests come on before. Anyone that's part of the Wake Forest community has raved about my parents' deli, our family deli, and the hype is real. It wouldn't be if we've been here this long. So I got a deal for you. If you come into the deli and you recognize me and you say, hey, I'm a big fan of the podcast or I've listened to you guys before and I love what you're doing, I will give you a free sandwich card with any purchase you make in the store. So you come in, you talk about the podcast with me a little bit, you purchase something, I'll give you a sandwich card that has all 10 stamps and then your ne the next time you come in, your sandwich is on me. So that's all you got to do. We appreciate you guys. Thanks for supporting a small family business that's been part of the Winston-Salem community for all these years. Thank you for listening to the show. And we are coming right back to you. Welcome back to the Just Means Less ACC podcast with your hosts, Micah and Nick. But more importantly, we've got two special guests with us tonight who I could say are probably near the tops of the list of people to talk to when it comes to Louisville baseball. Uh, I didn't tell these guys this, but I've listened to the pod before. It was kind of my preview last year for some of the stuff that was going on, but um, we're joined by Matt and Aaron. So I'll let these two introduce themselves. I know they've, they're, uh, they're, they're ready to go with Louisville baseball. They were telling us before we were recording that they spent an hour and a half recording last night. So we're just going to make them uh repeat everything they did, um, and I wanted exactly in the same order, no differences, exact same words. I mean, this needs to be like, this is like a, this is like a secondary, you know, performance of your show. But Matt, Aaron, thank you for hopping on. Matt, I'll let you go ahead first to introduce yourself. Yeah, I appreciate it. Um, like I said, my name is Matt Sefkovic. I'm um, one half of the Third and Central podcast, which is the podcast covering Louisville baseball. That's all we do is Louisville baseball year round. We try not to stop even when it's not you know, in season, we still try to find, uh, you know, Cardinals and the pros and, you know, recruiting. We try to find something to talk about and have some of the former guys come on that are in, you know, playing professional baseball just to give fans uh, inside access to the Louisville baseball program. Aaron and I were talking last night, and I think the, the biggest thing that we've seen over years is just the growth of the game. And I think things like this, just collaborating with one another and, you know, just talking about college baseball. Um, just getting the game out there and kind of, you know, getting more fans involved. You know, we've, we've continued to see the game grow over the past 10 years. And I just love the, the steady growth that we've seen. So I think things like this just, um, just help that. And um, I think that the more we can collaborate and talk about college baseball and spread the word, the more, more fans we're going to have show up in the seats. And that's the end goal here. Yep. Um, my name is Aaron Turner. I am the second half of the third and central podcast. Um, you know, what kind of got me started into this is my love of the Louisville guys that have gone on to play pro ball. Uh started my own Twitter account to kind of follow them. And for those of you that might not know, the Louisville and the pros numbers is just astronomical. I think last year, probably 55, 60 of them to keep track of. And 
that kind of obsession is what made Matt reach out to me initially to, to hop on the pod. And that's, you know, we've been doing this together for what, two years now. And it's been a blast every time that we've recorded. That's awesome guys. Yeah. I know uh, for our listeners that don't know, or maybe we're wondering, cause I'm a big geography guy. I'm a huge fan of just the name of the podcast. I don't know. I, I've read it before in a couple of releases about Louisville baseball too. So I'm just going to say you guys were the first ones to come up with the third and central idea. But for those that don't know, third and central is the location of Jim Patterson ballpark, Jim Patterson stadium to be specific. Um, so it's a fantastic name. I love that. I always, I'm a big fan of, you know, catchy names, obviously hint the reason why we're the just means last ACC podcast. Cause we have to troll <laughs> the SEC. It only makes sense. Sure. Um, but, you know, we're just going to dive right into it, guys, because speaking of diving right into it, Louisville's doing that this year. I mean, we'll get to obviously what to expect moving forward. But, you know, last year was, for lack of a better term, disappointment. The first time that they've ever missed the ACC tournament since they've been a member. Was it the third or fourth time in, what, 20 years something like that they've missed the NCAA tournament? I know it's it's it, Louisville and postseason baseball are combination. It's like peanut butter and jelly. You know, you, you expect it. It's delicious. It's fantastic. And last year was just, I mean, the strangest year possible. And they're going to start off with a bang. I mean, three of the four first four, the, excuse me, three of the first four games against teams that were RPI top 60 last year. And they're all neutral slash away, if I'm not mistaken. You can correct me if I'm wrong on that. So just quickly on that, I mean, what do you guys think of Louisville's strategy of going out there and getting, for those that don't know, it's Indiana State, Xavier, South Florida, and UConn. I think I mixed up the order there a little bit, but you know, it's not a not a not a not an easy start into the season for the cards for sure. And yeah, that's one thing that Coach McDonald over the years has done is we typically go to Florida for the first series in Tampa, Clearwater. Those are kind of the areas that we focus on and spend most of our time. But yeah, this year Indiana State. Uh, USF and Connecticut are all going to be down in Tampa. And like you said, it's not going to be a slouch. And, you know, coming off the season that we had last year, these guys have a chip on their shoulder. And the, the kind of the best way I've heard it described to me from, you know, people in the program and around the coaching staff is they're just pissed off on the way last year ended. Uh, no one's happy about it. You know, there were injuries, but that, that that's, that's not an excuse that you can use to not make the tournament if you're the University of Louisville. But that that was part of it. Um, but they're just pissed off and ready to get this season started. And like you said, it's starting with a bang because you know right out of the bat they've got they've got four quality teams. Yeah, I mean just to add on to that, I think we're gonna see a squad that comes out just guns a blazing, balls to the wall, needs to feel like they need to prove themselves right away. And we've never known Dan McDonald and and his coaching staff to press the panic button, and they certainly won't press the panic button. Uh, but you know, if if you miss the tournament in three of the last four years, there there is you know conversation about you know what direction is the school going to go with baseball now. Um, so I I do think that it'll be interesting to see what what Dan and his staff have have cooking for those first few games. Uh, we've we've known them to run out a bunch of different lineups in non conference games. I, I think the key this year, though, is to run out a bunch of different lineups and in non-conference games and then find that one consistent lineup that works for conference games. Because in you know, last year in, in the in the 21 season where we missed the tournament as well, I, I think that you know a big issue there is just not finding that consistent lineup that works for us. So I just think finding that consistency 
and uh, you know a good strong nine is is going to be key in these these first few non-conference games. Yeah, last year, I mean, well, I think it's probably the best segue to obviously you know get excitement for this year is talk about how I mean pitiful really last year was because you know it it still stings me. So you guys don't know this, but on I was at the Georgia Tech game on uh, St. Patrick's Day. That was the first mm-hmm. game of a three game set when the Cardinals were fourteen and one, number two in the country, and. You know, granted, it was 20 degrees at first pitch, but the, the place was pretty full for a Friday night, freezing cold weather in March. And, you know, I remember I was sitting right behind home plate and the gentleman that was sitting next to me, he was a seat ticket holder for years. And he was he was already talking about his trip to Omaha and how excited he was and how special this team was. And then they end up losing more than 60 percent of the remaining games. I mean, it was crazy how that kind of turned around. So. I'd love to hear your guys' perspective on just kind of what happened because, I mean, they went from – I mean, I know, like, the non-conference schedule, again, they if I remember correctly, they went to – it was a Texas, right, last year, and they went on and, like, took down Michigan. And they, mm-hmm. they, I know they had a big, like, opening kind of statement to start the season, and then it just kind of, again, dwindled off once it entered ACC play. I know some of it, again, was, like you said, just never really finding that consistent piece. But from your from your lenses, what happened? And, and and I think when Aaron and I, Aaron and I have talked about this many many a times, it, it, it's kind of hard to pinpoint exactly what it was. If you look at the the pitching staff from last year, they got a lot of heat. I think if you talk to a lot of our fans, they 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 pin everything on the pitching staff. But we had a top twenty five ERA last year. It wasn't all pitching. I mean, we our home run leader had twelve home runs last year, and that's not that's not Dan McDonald baseball. That's not how his teams have been built in the past. And typically his teams, you know, get better as the season goes on. Like you said, you, you mentioned they went down to Houston last year and won the Shriners Children's College Classic. They beat TCU and Michigan and I can't remember who else they played down there, but had a hell of a preseason tournament win and, you know, come back. Like you said, they're ranked second in the country. And then they just, they just fell on their face. Nothing, nothing was clicking. You know, the, we have a good day on the mound, but the, you know, the bats were asleep and they'd score 15 runs a game. Um, it, it just seems like we could never get on the same page with the pitching and the uh, defense. And then the, and then the injuries started to mount up. We had a couple of our key ACC series last year that we had Ryan McCoy, our first baseman behind the plate. He hadn't put the catcher gear on since high school. Um, and, you know, bless his heart. It, it just it just wasn't working for him back there. So uh, I, I think we had a lot of guys playing out of position, just couldn't get any consistency, kind of like Aaron was saying. And it was just a recipe for disaster as we went down the home stretch of the season last year. Yeah, and I think Dan, or sorry, excuse me, I think Matt is is pretty spot on there. Um, you know, and he, I think he's exactly right. The the pitching staff did take a lot of heat from the fans, um, but he's exactly right. The the pitching staff was a lot better than what they had seemed. I think the issue with the pitching staff was giving up the big hit. You know, you you'd be cruising for you know six seven innings, then get in some trouble in the seventh or eighth, and then you know then it kind of just spirals from there. And so, I think limiting the big innings is going to be something that is very key this year. Something that needs to that we need to come out early and, and prove that this pitching staff can do. And I I think that this year's pitching staff is revamped we're going to see a lot of young guys get some action out there and I, I think that we're going to see a lot of a lot of new faces step up on the mound this year 
Yeah. I think that's what, Oh yeah. I I think that's what I kind of noticed. Um, when y'all played Wake Forest and that was like a very, very competitive series. I mean, every game was really close. And then I believe you guys played at Durham to play uh, Duke and giving up the big hit. I think when Duke hit that game winning grand slam, that was kind of the, that was kind of like the start of the fall off for Louisville last year was that grand slam at Duke and they never just got their footing back so i i think you're kind of spot on when it came to the pitching staff giving up the big hit in the big inning if i'm not mistaken we actually gave up two walk-offs in that yeah. same series against duke one of them yeah, was a grand right. slam and then there was another one um later in the weekend as well yeah i mean i even remember the game that i was at that friday night you know it kind of felt like not that you all were running away from it but it was a six run. I think it was either the sixth or the seventh for Georgia Tech that gave them the lead, and then y'all actually rallied back to, to to win it late. But I mean, yeah, that seemed like the kind of the the moral of the story throughout the year. Like you said, you have six fantastic innings, five fantastic innings. You're working through it quickly, and then I mean, literally the doors just you know the wheels fall off, and when it rains, it pours. It felt like so. You know, I know this team. It didn't lose as much as it normally does because, I mean, normally when Louisville loses people, it's because so many of them are going to the draft. I mean, you guys mentioned how many major leaguers and big league guys and professionals that come through this ranks. But, you know, can you talk about kind of, you know, what you think the drop-off is, if any? Because it sounded like, you know, I I saw this on Twitter. I don't know if you guys saw this or not, but someone made it, the comparison that, you know, Louisville baseball is Clemson football from the standpoint of didn't want to use the transfer portal. Finally, though, it sounds like, you know, they, they dipped into more than just the JUCO ranks because uh, Louisville always signs top 25 classes. I mean, that's just kind of day in and day out. Like it's kind of clockwork for, for that staff. But, you know, tell me a little bit about kind of from from last year to this year. Do you think there is a, a step forward from what was lost? I know they lost the top two top two bats. Um, you know, you lose a pretty big arm, but overall it feels like this team, you know, again, it, it just feels weird that Louisville's not getting the hype that it normally does. I think in the pitching front, when you add Sebastian Gungora, who's the pitcher of the year in the horizon league, you know, he, he's a instant impact Friday night guy. I mean, he, there's a good chance he's going to be the Friday night guy this year. And then you've got Carson Liggett, who I know you all are very high on, you know, if Wake Forest wasn't in the ACC, there's a good chance that's the best one-two punch in the league, right? So I think those two guys, uh, they're pretty solid. We know what we're going to get from them. It, it's just what what do we have behind them um, on the pitching front? And it's going to kind of be by committee. Um, but we talk about, you know, a, a, a drop-off in talent and using the transfer portal. That's something that Coach McDonald has talked about quite a bit recently, and I think he's finally realized that that's just the way of the future, and you either adjust or you're going to get left behind. Now, he talked about it last week on the radio. I was listening to him, and, um, you know, he, he hyped up Gungora, our starting second baseman this year, as a D1 transfer. Um, Luke Navelton, our, probably our starting catcher this season, he's D D2 guy from Quincy that just put up video game-like numbers last year. Um, so I, I think they're finally starting to realize that you have to do it because if you don't, everybody else around you is, and you're, you're going to get left behind because you can only, you know, develop so much talent when you've got 
that are freshmen going into their sophomore season when you've got, you know, your Wake Forest that are going out and getting seniors that are, you know, they're going to be round one draft guys next year. Yeah, I mean, just just to add on to that, I don't, I really don't think that there is much of a drop off in, in talent that we had last year. You lose a Christian Napchik, which you know is definitely a top of an order bat, but he, that spike gets easily filled with Gavin Keelan. There's no question about that there. And you know, then you lose Jack Payton, team leader behind the plate, just a great hitter, great guy to have behind the plate. But now you've got Luke Napleton and four or five other guys that can go back there and catch too, which catching depth was an issue last year as we saw down the stretch. Uh, I, I just think that the biggest one of the biggest issues that we saw last year is you've got guys who are going to go out and throw five innings to start a game and you got your guys that are going to throw the eighth and the ninth, but what are you going to have in the middle that can bridge that gap? And I think, you know, fingers crossed that we have a, a good core group of guys that, that took a step forward, you know, in, in summer ball and during the fall that they can come back out this year and, and fill that sixth, seventh, eighth innings to, you know, bridge that gap that we didn't really have last year. I think my biggest concern, and this is something Aaron and I have talked about quite a bit too, is, you know, you've got, when you look up and down the roster, we've got five or six returners, um, field guys that are going to be starting again this season. Well, yeah, that that's great that we've got a lot of experience, but when that experience hasn't got to the NCAA tournament, like, you know, at what point does that give? And you have to give some of the younger guys a chance because you can have all the experience in the world, but if it, if it hasn't won, like, what, what does it matter? I guess the good thing, in my opinion, and you guys can tell me if I'm wrong, is, you know, this schedule, I mean, obviously it can be it can be a, a real double-edged sword, right? You've got 30 NCAA teams on your schedule. Your ACC schedule, not the toughest I've seen, but it's definitely not the easiest. I mean, you got to go to Coral Gables. You, you host Virginia. You're going to Wake. I mean, there's not really minus, I think, pit on your schedule where I'm like, oh, that should probably be a – you know, let's take or Notre Dame, you know, take care of business kind of thing for this team. So I think, you know, just from an outsider's perspective, not, you know, obviously not spending every day looking at what's going on uh, uh, in, in Louisville, but it feels like you guys at least have, you know, the opportunity to hopefully develop again. I mean, that's the one thing that, you know, I think, like you said, they, they, they should be pissed off. I mean, that team was way more talented. I mean, it's one thing to miss the NCAA tournament, right? It's another to be the second to last team in your own conference. I mean, that was, again, just absolutely shocking. You know, I guess I need you guys to tell me if I'm right. So I made the bold prediction. We we went out with our players of the year and coaches of the year and everything like that. And um, I went with uh, pitcher of the year for me was Carson Liggett. Um, so I need you guys to remind me and tell me that I'm right because I got a lot of flack for that. Um, again, I think there's obviously a lot of dudes at Wake for, for those of you, if you two don't know, Nick here, he's based in Winston-Salem. He's an NC State grad, so he's NC State-Wake kind of crossover. He feeds the entire Wake Forest team, though, so he's, uh, you know, kind of uh, in on that crew, and obviously we know that pitching staff, like you said, if they weren't in the ACC, you know, we would have a lot more of a conversation on who probably the best, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday group is, but you know, I, I just think, I think Carson has it, man. I, I just, and I, I mean, I, I could be wrong, but we, we've seen the steps forward that Louisville pitchers take as they kind of develop, get a little bit older. So I just, maybe I, maybe I'm just trying to convince myself because 
again, bias old me loves when you get to play at Jim Patterson Park in the MVP NCA 07. So maybe I'm just dreaming of, you know, a regional back in Louisville. But, you know, <laughs> tell me why I'm right about Carson Liggett, at least at the bare minimum, being in that conversation. You know, the thing about Carson, and you hit a couple good points there, the thing about Carson is he just continues to get better. And that's one thing that we've seen time and time again with guys that stick around and commit to code, the pitching coach, Roger Roger Williams, his system, and how he goes about things. The, the guys that stick to his process and that come back to school and spend a couple of years with him, spend the summers and falls working out with him, they just keep getting better. And and Carson Leggett is kind of the just the most recent um, product of that. You know, we saw him last year go seven and two with a 3.42 ERA. And when you watch him on the mound, Aaron and I talked about this on our preseason uh, podcast the other night. He just, it looks so effortless to him. Like it just looks like he's just kind of ho-hum throwing the ball. And it, and I compared him the other night to this guy. And I, I don't mean to do that because it's probably not fair to Carson, but he, he goes about himself the same way that Brennan McKay did. I'm not saying he's as good as Brennan McKay. I'm not saying that because McKay's the best player to ever play baseball at the University of Louisville. But just the way he carries himself and how he just kind of looks like he's up there, it, it just comes easy to him. Um, he doesn't have to – he doesn't look like he's putting a whole lot of effort into it, and that's probably not fair to say, but he, it, it just comes – the game comes naturally to him. Yeah, I think, like Matt said, we talked about this extensively on our own pod that we recorded, but he's he's a dog. He's an absolute gamer. He's going to go out there and, and just compete his tail off. But I think what's nice about this year is it's been a while since we've had a really good one-two punch in Louisville. You've got Sebastian Gongora and Carson Liggett this year. That is that one-two punch that, in theory, should go out and be able to take over and dominate games. And to be able to have a guy like Carson who doesn't have to start on Friday can stay in a role that he's comfortable with on that Saturday or Sunday probably takes a lot of pressure off of him too, knowing that he doesn't have to go out there and be that big game Friday night guy, but he can, he can stay with what he's comfortable with. And like, like Matt said, when you're in this Roger Williams system, you just continue to get better and better. You keep showing up to school year after year. And Carson's done that. And I, I absolutely think that he's going to take a massive step forward this year. And I hope you're not too far off on, on the pitcher of the year projection. I think another thing to add to that too, is like Aaron said, he just, he doesn't have that pressure that he had last year. Last year, if he didn't win his start on the weekend, we didn't win the series. Like we didn't win many series anyways, but if he didn't win his game, we definitely weren't going to win the weekend series. So he had a lot of pressure on his shoulders to go out there and compete every single weekend because the series kind of relied on what he did in his start. And this is some great insight for me because I, I'm going to be completely honest. I just assumed he was going to be the Friday starter. I, I didn't even think about, you know, the, the the possibility of throwing him on Saturday. So now you guys have convinced me. So I'm coming up for the Virginia series. And I was for sure doing Friday. I was debating, do I stay for Saturday? It's an early game. Well, now I have to, if, if that means Carson <laughs> Liggett's going to be pitching. So, um, but I kind of like that approach. I mean, again, when you've got, a, I mean, he probably is going to be the best start Saturday starter. I mean, you could, again, maybe debate if Chase Burns ends up being the uh, Saturday guy, then you've probably got an incredible, like that Saturday in Winston-Salem is going to be insane. <laughs> but yeah. 
that's uh i didn't even think about that so again I'm, this is why we bring people like you all on because i just i just assumed oh, i mean best pitcher everyone knows who he is i mean he people were kind of yelling for him to be the friday guy last year you know for, mm-hmm. for a consistent piece of it so you know that's that's obviously great insight nick do you have anything that you want to ask these guys um overall what's the expectation going into this year what's or how should i say it what's the expectation for your end result for louisville how where how far do you see uh this louisville baseball team going because the expectations were really high kind of in the beginning of last year when louisville was number two um I personally have them going back to the regionals. I don't necessarily have them hosting, but one of my bold predictions is the ACC is going to get at most 10 uh, teams in, and Louisville is definitely one of them, possibly hosting a regional too. But how far do you guys see the bounce back this year? I think this team, I think they're definitely a regional team. They they should make the tournament. There's enough talent, and the pitching staff, I think, has improved enough that they're, they're a regional team. And I think, can they host? You know, the ball's got to bounce the right way at a couple, you know, different series throughout the year. It, it's possible. It, a lot of it depends on Carson Liggett and Sebastian Gongor, and I hate to put that much pressure on those two guys. But the question mark has been, like Aaron alluded to earlier, the middle reliever. So it, it, we've got to somehow bridge that gap. And if it's the starters going longer and not having to use as much middle relief, you know, it, it puts a lot of pressure on those two guys. I, I, but I think I think they can make a super regional depending on the matchup in a regional. But I, I think that's probably the ceiling this year. And I think that's fair coming off a season where you don't make the tournament. If you get back to super regional, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Yeah, I mean, if you ask you ask Dan McDonald, you ask everybody in that locker room, they're they're gonna say that the expectation will always be Omaha. That's always been the standard at Louisville. Uh, I think Matt's spot on though. I I think that a super regional probably is the ceiling this year, and there's nothing wrong with that. We need to get back to playing Louisville baseball, just like we did in in 2022. You know, you miss the tournament in 21, come back in 22, guns a blazing, and make the super regional down in uh, at Texas A and M. I, I I would agree that that is our our ceiling this year. I'm gonna play devil's advocate for a minute because I'm I'm just curious because obviously Louisville, I would argue, especially when you factor in you know Clemson's recent struggles, they're obviously returning back to form now. But minus maybe Virginia, Louisville's been the best program the last since really since they joined the ACC. It's been them and Virginia, in my opinion, is kind of those two always consistent. The floor is. I mean, for the longest time, I thought the floor was, oh, they just made the tournament and that's it, you know, or last year, obviously, it it got set a little bit lower, even though it was still a 500 ball club that, of course, featured at one point the number two overall ranking in the country. Um, You know, if they were to miss because of the prowess of Louisville baseball, obviously, you know, we're talking about a a legendary coach. So I'm not trying to say, oh, hot seat, we got to get rid of them kind of thing. What would that mean? Like, well, how would you take that? I and mean, what do you think the fan base's reaction would be if, again, I don't want this to happen by any means, but, you know, two years in a row, I mean, you you would be able to tell me better than anyone, but has that happened at all in since this century has started? <laughs> uh, since Dan's been there in 2007, no. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, the, we've pretty much been a tournament team every every year he's been there. 
except the past, uh, you know, two of the last three. So, you know, it, and Aaron, I've talked about this extensively. If this is a season where, you know, it kind of falls apart like it did last year, and hopefully that's not the case, but it, let's say if it does, let's let's play that game. You know, that would put us at missing the tournament three of four. And I don't know how much you know about the history of Louisville baseball, but before Dan McDonald got there, we had won one NCAA tournament game in the history of our program. Mm-hmm. There, There is no history of Louisville baseball before Dan McDonald. Uh, but that's the standard that he set, right? So, like, you can't – we can't go back and say, well, before he was here, we never did anything, so we're just going to allow it to continue going forward. So, I, I don't – I mean, they're not going to fire him by any stretch of imagination, but I think there would have to be some tough conversations. And, I don't, you know, Dan, after the season last year, he was very – vocal about the administration at University of Louisville and not getting the support and wanting to um, coach for an administration that, you know, not only said they cared about baseball, but showed they cared about baseball. He wants the facilities upgraded. He wants locker rooms. He wants an indoor facility. He wants all these things. But the problem is if you're missing the tournament three out of four seasons, they're not going to continue to dump money into a non-revenue generating sport that's not winning. Mm-hmm. So I, I think he he's going to have to show it on the field in order to get those things that he wants. So uh, again, they're not going to get rid of him, but I think there's going to be some tough conversations that that need to be had. Yeah, I 100% agree with everything that Matt just said. And the only thing that I would like to add in is, you know, Dan has always been a very old school guy. We finally see him dip into the transfer portal this past off season. He goes out and gets a guy like Sebastian Gongora. You know, you got your starting catcher and Luke Napleton uh, out of the portal as well as, you know, a couple other key pieces that it could be big for us. Um, but now that Dan is starting to go in that direction of using the portal, maybe tapping into some NIL money potentially, you know, that right there, I think, just shows how serious Dan is about, you know, putting winning baseball out there on the field. And like Matt said, you know, we, we always – haven't always had the support of the administration so it's going to be interesting to see this year how how dan and and the athletic department interact with each other um and you know go about getting upgrades to to jim patterson stadium that i think we all would agree that are very much needed yeah i went to you also have to remember how loyal dan has been to the university of louisville mm-hmm. and there's many a times that he could have left and gone to the sec there's many times he could have gone to I, I guess I don't say bigger programs, but more historical programs. Um, and and he didn't. He he stayed put. His family loves the University of Louisville. His wife Julie loves the city, and I think she's a big reason why they're still there. Um, but I, I think he's shown a lot of loyalty to to the university and to the city. So I'm hoping that this administration can show that loyalty back to him. And correct me if I'm wrong, but this is one of the more loyal staffs in general, right? Like Roger Williams, pitching coach, has been there since Dan got there. Is that correct? And That's obviously, correct. you know, yeah, you're talking about, talking about, you know, if I'm not mistaken, Eric Snyder's been there. Well, it's got to be 10 years, right? I mean, I know he's yeah, been and, there as long as I've been really kind of following college baseball. So it's and, pretty and a loyal Snyder's group. Had, <laughs> and Snyder's had some opportunities to leave also. Mm. Um, he was he was a top candidate I'm not at, at a couple of ACC schools, like head coaching jobs in ACC schools, and he, he stayed put. And I think he's looking for the right fit. He He's a head coach. He's ready right yeah. now. Um, and as you know, you know, Lamonis was the coach before Snyder, who's down at Mississippi State. So Dan, his, his assistants don't leave. And uh, Vrabel has been there. Gosh, um, as long as I can remember also. So, I mean, his his staff has been very loyal to him, and he's been very loyal to the university. 
Yeah, and I've been to so last year I went. You know, I don't mean to talk about your your rival school, Kentucky, but talk about investing in baseball, right? Like, I mean, let's just be honest here. Like that ballpark there is honestly. Like, I will not forget the first time I stepped foot there. I went to the, actually the same weekend as the Louisville Georgia Tech series. I went to Kentucky versus Mississippi State on a Sunday. And again, the crowd support clearly better at Louisville, but everything else was better at Kentucky from, you know, the amenities that they offered from the, I mean, and that, that was a school that has very little, I mean, I know obviously like you said, it's kind of more recent with Louisville, but they have really no baseball history. I mean, at all. And, and even last year, like, you know, they were competing to be the middle of the conference. I mean, RPI was saying one thing, but we all know that was not the number one team in the country. So, you know, it was, it, it was, it was really eye opening because again, the facilities at Louisville are there, but you can tell they haven't really been touched. Like, you know, they were like the first to go. And then, you know, again, I went to Virginia last year, much better facilities. Wake has invested in much better facilities, you know, North Carolina, better facilities it's clemson better facilities i mean i can keep going even virginia tech has made a you know i wouldn't say it's better than louisville but they've made the investment to get up to louisville standards and in recent years virginia tech has barely cared about baseball it was kind of just a sport they had to to kind of you know keep with everyone else in the conference um but it is you know it is it is sad to see that you know like you said like there needs to be a little bit of more support because you know I, i've said this before actually last year you know, i got a little bit of flack for it but I think that Louisville has one of the best fan bases in, in, in college athletics in general, but especially when it comes to, you know, some of these sports people don't talk about, you know, my backstory, I, I worked in college athletics. I'm the director of marketing for East Tennessee state. So, you know, an FCS school, but you know, we, we have obviously kind of played Louisville on some things and I worked for the Atlantic coast conference before COVID. And my last event that I worked that did get shut down because of COVID was the ACC women's basketball final that featured Louisville and NC state. And when I tell you that the Louisville support for women's basketball was incredible, and you see it from, again from top to bottom in pretty much every sport they have, they have one of the nicest soccer facilities in the country. Didn't didn't it just or I guess the city hosted the Final Four, um, or the College Cup, obviously. But you know it's it's incredible. This fan base deserves it. And I mean, again, I, I I agree with you. And this is kind of a for our normal listeners that aren't Louisville fans, like you know there there shouldn't be a call for a job if this goes south. I mean. I always worry about, again, as a Virginia fan, you know, Bronco Mendenhall, our football coach, got forced to fire his D.C., and what did he do? Instead of firing the D.C., he just stepped away. So I always I always get worried about, you know, what the administration versus coach battle can be because, again, I, I believe that you sometimes you have to just trust the coach's instincts. So it's going to be interesting. But I do want to talk to you guys about the outfield. I think the Louisville outfield has the potential to be one of the best in the conference. You know, it's all three guys are returning. I personally love the swagger of Eddie King. I, 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 it's, it's incredible. He just, I mean, the drip that he came up with. I mean, he's got this like young Barry Bonds type of vibe. I don't know if you guys get that kind of vibe from him too, but he's just got a ton of swagger, Nick. I don't know if you watched too much of Eddie King last year, but I mean, he just, he just has so much swagger. So, you know, tell me a little bit about this outfield and and just kind of what we can expect from from this core from a position group. I know we've talked a decent amount about the pitching, but you know, like you said, we probably are going to need the pitching to step up. But because this team can score runs, we know that. I'm going to let Aaron take the lead on this one because he is a massive Eddie King fan as well. So I'm going to let him take the lead on this. 
thanks. He is he's pretty spot on. There's probably nobody in the country who is a bigger Eddie King Jr. fan than myself. I've I've been high on Eddie for the last couple of years now. And he's he's definitely the starting center fielder. You got JT Benson out and left and Isaac Humphrey is in right field. Um, you know, that there's really no debate about that right now. We we know who's who's gonna be out there. Um, I'm I'm super excited about you know obviously Eddie King. Um, I I do think that there's that he's got a lot in the tank this year to take a massive step forward. Um, I'm especially excited about JT Benson though. You know he had battled the injuries for for quite a while at Louisville. Finally has a season last year where he spends forty plus games in the lineup, which is something that he hasn't gotten to do before. And he you know displayed flashes of of power and speed that you know we all knew was there but it finally started to click for him so i kind of comped him to a ben metzinger type ben had battled injuries for most of his career at louisville too that last senior season he goes off i think he had what 17 home runs in his senior season before he got drafted by milwaukee uh, I, I think that that jt has that in the tank for him as well and and then you you know you go over to Isaac Humphrey out and right, and Isaac had a, a disappointing season last year, and, and I think that he would even say that too. Um, but you know I, Isaac definitely has the potential to be an All ACC type of guy. We saw that his freshman year he hit over three hundred. Last year he takes a step back from you know hit two thirty five two forty. Just it wasn't clicking for him, but I I do think that just the outfield core three guys who are going to be out there is is a very good group to have and you know if even if nothing clicks for them this year then we have a pretty good depth but uh right behind them too so super excited about the outfield and, and to see what they bring to the table this season yeah and, and one of my one of my interns <laughs> in my full-time job he spent the summer interning in the Cape and he, he kept talking about Eddie King too. So it only made just me even more excited about him because he had a great summer, obviously up on the Cape. And we all know that's probably the, I work in the Appalachian league in the summer. And I, I joke that I want to be as good as the Cape, but we all know the Cape Cod lead is just, you know, light years above when it comes to summer collegiate baseball. I kind of want to talk about a little bit too, about the infield because last year third base was kind of split up between two guys who both return and, both have some pretty good upside. Obviously, Logan Beard and Brandon Anderson. You know, I know Logan, if I'm not mistaken, played a little bit at second base too, but he struggled a little bit more there defensively. Uh, plus, if I'm not mistaken, you brought in a pretty good infielder from was it Marist? Is that where it was? So yeah, you know, Dylan Boy. Yeah, and they expect Dylan to step into to that second base role. Um, you know, kind of what can we expect from this infield? Because, you know, the off, like you said, you know, Aaron kind of, you both mentioned, I know Aaron's like the outfield's kind of on lock. We know who the three guys are where you guys can give us a little bit more insight on what to expect from, from the infield. Yeah. Up the middle, I think we're going to be pretty solid. You've got Gavin Keelan, who's going to uh, take over a shortstop from Napchik, who obviously moved on to the guardians. Um, he's a plus defender. Um, Coach McDonald's talked about him being one of the best defenders he's had at Louisville which that's a, that's a pretty damn strong words for some of the guys that we've had come through the program during his time here. Um, and, and he's shown that during his freshman year last year. He started 30-some-odd games because of the injuries we had. And um, so he's a sophomore, but he, he's got a lot of experience under his belt. And then you've got Dylan Hoy, who's probably going to be the short or the second baseman. He's a transfer from Marist. And every time I talk to anybody about the Louisville baseball season, kind of the outlook, the first name they mention is Dylan Hoy, 
Um, just dude just plays the game with a ton of energy, a lot of passion. He fits McDonald's system to a T. Um, just moves the baseball. He's going to steal a ton of bases this year. Uh, really excited about the just his aggressiveness and what he's going to bring to um, the the offense and the defense because he covers a ton of ground up the middle. Him and Keelan, I, I think that those two are going to be pretty nasty up the middle. Um, on the corners, you've got Ryan McCoy at first. And, you know, we saw him last year. Like I said, he led the team with 12 home runs. But, it, you know, his swing and miss rate was just through the roof. So you got to get that under control. If, if he gets a hold of the ball, down in Durham last year, he hit a ball 480 feet. I don't know if it's landed yet. Um, so if he gets a hold of it, it's going to go a country mile. But um, just got to get that swing and miss rate down. Uh, behind him at first, we we just lost um, his backup to the transfer portal, who uh, transferred out to John A. Logan Junior College. So uh, Will, Will Cook, he's gone. So our backup at first probably going to be um, some of the catchers by committee because we've got a handful of them on the roster this year. Uh, another freshman, George Baker, probably going to slide down that way. And then, like you said, third base is going to be Logan Beard, um, who we're very familiar with. He's played the past three or four years. Um, second base, third base, he's kind of rotated around the infield. So we'll, we'll see a lot of him um, at third this year, I would imagine. Yeah, I – I'm excited to see what he can do taking another step forward. I mean, that's the that's I mean that's been Louisville's bread and butter, right? It's it's a, it's not a development program because obviously they bring in guys, but they always bring the most out of it. I mean, we talked about Brendan McKay already, but I got to watch him when I was working in minor league baseball for the Fort Myers Miracle or yeah, Miracle at the time. Now they're the Mighty Muscles, but Brendan came through with the Charlotte Stone Crabs, and I mean, like you said, he's probably one of the best baseball players I've ever seen. Actually, in my office at work. I've got, I don't know if you guys ever saw the Stone Crabs did a, uh, a bobblehead of him where it's half pitching, half hitting, and it's one of the strangest <laughs> bobbleheads I've ever seen, but it's one of my favorite just purely because of that. But I'm, I'm excited, too, to kind of see what Dylan brings. So Maris came to ETSU last year, but he was out. He was injured. And I remember our coaching staff was not thankful that he didn't play, but, you know, it was kind of like, yeah, they're without one of their best dudes because they came in. This was the second week of the season, so he was. We got banged up early in the spring, but uh, they, they came into our series after losing a game thirty-three to five. So we're all like, "Well, if he's healthy, then this could be like they're not thirty-three to five back." You know, obviously that doesn't speak to Dylan. That speaks to all the pitching staff at Maris, but sure. obviously a huge step up for them. So uh, I know Nick obviously asked you guys, you know, what your your expectations are. Um, but my question, because obviously we talked about regional, but in the ACC, that could be, you know, like Nick said, that could be top 10. That could be six. I mean, I don't think this conference is getting less than 17. I mean, I think that would be, I mean, the, the, I know the joke in basketball and football is the ACC is down and all this stuff, but we're not down in baseball. That's one sport we are. We are A-OK in right now. Um, you know, where do you think you all sit in the ACC? I mean, it still drives me nuts. We do Atlantic and Coastal. I mean, it just... I, I mean, it's as ridiculous. a Virginia fan, as a Virginia fan, I mean, I guess it's cool that I get to claim a coastal division title, but like, <laughs> okay, cool. Uh, but where do you, where do you all think you sit? Because I mean, it, this, this conference is just so loaded. I mean, we're, until, we'll never get the respect we get until we win a national title. I mean, obviously the last one was Virginia in 2015. So it's been a little while time we're, we're, we're due for one, but you know, where, where do you think Louisville fits in this? Cause you know, especially on the Atlantic side, right? It's Wake Forest up here. Mm -hmm. And then you've got kind of this like smorgasbord of probably Clemson's the two, but 
you know, you can maybe make an argument for NC State at two. And then it's like Florida State, it's Louisville, it's, you know, obviously Notre Dame and BC are kind of, you know, and with uh, obviously I'm, I'm a little bit intrigued by BC, obviously bringing in the fact that their new manager comes over from Wofford, which obviously I'm very familiar with from my Southern Conference ties at ETSU. But, you know, that's a, a program that kind of over exceeded its britches in my opinion last season like louisville underperformed boston college overperformed i guess the rule is there's a equilibrium of the birds in in the atlantic division maybe but you know where do you all think you sit in the in the acc landscape not just a regional super regional kind of thought process but and the craziest thing about boston college last year overperforming and louisville underperforming is louisville swept them last year Mm -hmm. Uh, when yeah. Boston College was ranked 10th, and then it just seemed like everything went to hell shortly after that. Um, I think, like you said, Wake is top of the class, right? There, there's no denying that. They're, they're the best team, especially in the Atlantic. But I mean, in the whole ACC, but definitely the Atlantic. Uh, and then after that, you, you've you got Clemson, Florida State, NC State, and Louisville. So those are the next four. And I think Louisville just has to do enough to weather the storm against those teams um you know we go down to tallahassee you, you can look at the schedule as much as you want to the, the series that i circle that i'm most afraid of is going to tallahassee we're two and seven down there all time we do not play well in tallahassee never have um hopefully this year that changes but it, it it's kind of a, a running joke that we go down there and just just kind of forget how to play baseball um so i think in those couple series you just have to weather the storm and find a way um you know, to stay somewhere, you know, I think we were preseason fifth in the Atlantic, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I think if we can stay somewhere around um, a third, fourth at worst, um, I, th- I think that's a, a pretty damn successful season in conference play. Yeah, I mean, just to add on to that, excuse me, uh, Matt and I recorded a podcast episode about a month ago, or I said that the national champion was going to come out of the ACC. And, um, you know, obviously the the favorite is Wake Forest, but you have a lot of teams that could make a serious case to make a run like that. I do think that, you know, obviously you have your Clemson, your Virginia, who are, you know, they're at the top every year. But also when you look at a team like Duke or NC State, I think that those are some squads that could definitely make a run to Omaha. I, I love the pitching staff that both of them have, have put together this year. I do think that teams like that could make a deep run and a lot of people aren't necessarily ready for that. And so, you know, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how, how Louisville stacks up with teams like that. I, I do think that we can make a run of our, of our own, maybe not to Omaha this year, but you know, like, like I said earlier, the, the expectation in, in Louisville and inside that, that locker room is, is a trip to Omaha and it's definitely going to be a gauntlet to get there, especially how loaded the ACC is. Um, you know, one thing that I would really love to see, something that we've never done since joining the conference, is winning a conference tournament. I think that that would be awesome right there, just, you know, especially with the amount of teams that are incredibly stacked right now in the ACC. It's just, it's going to be a tough season for for everybody in the conference, and I'm excited to see how we stack up. Yeah, I know, I, I, I can't assume this but I, i'm hoping this is the last year of the atlantic and coastal with the additions of cal and stanford because yeah. if not i i don't know how you're going to break up this mess um i will say from a 
non-baseball standpoint as a Virginia fan, I'm glad the ACC is not trying to force this little Virginia rivalry because it's just, I mean, no offense, guys. I, I, I don't dislike you guys. I'm sorry. I mean, I, I'm, I'm sorry that I don't dislike you. Um, but, you know, I am kind of curious because, First off, I want to apologize to you all because Louisville was 5-0 and in all, in all time in games I'd attended. Then I went to the last two games of the Virginia series last year near the end of the season, and obviously that did not go very well for Louisville. Um, and I am going to the first game of the Louisville-Florida State series in Tallahassee, and that is my first Louisville game since that. So uh, I guess that Thursday night might not lean well historically um, or <laughs> maybe you can reverse the curse yeah maybe maybe that maybe that maybe the five and two thing is more of just uh get back on the you know you, you can lose two but not you know third time's the charm right right <laughs> but you know I, I will say that you know i i just it just doesn't feel right without louisville being in the postseason i mean obviously y'all are fans so i'm sure it stung you all more but i mean it it, it was it was like it was kind of sad because as a Virginia fan, I was low key kind of cheering for you all to win that series. Cause I was like, well, maybe if they win this series, that gets them to Charlotte, right. Or Durham, I guess last year gets you to Durham. And then who knows, right. You just never know with this whole pod system, you win your two games and now you're entering the, you know, the semifinals. And I, I would like to think if you're a semifinalist in the AC tournament, you're probably in, especially with, I mean, your, your RPI last year argued that you could have been in even with your record. I think weren't you still a top 50 RPI team at the end of the season? Mm -hmm. I'm not mistaken. Yeah. I mean, it may have been even higher than that. So, you know, I remember for a little while there, I was getting some flack on my bracketology because I was just determined that Louisville was going to get kind of, I always joke, it's the Alabama treatment from college football. You know, it's like, oh, well, they're nine and three Alabama, but they're Alabama. So like, you know, you got to put them in there, right? Like those, those are three quality losses, obviously. So, you know, that's obviously exciting. I do want your guys' opinion because, you know, you all are, I like to ask this question to kind of everyone we talk to with ACC baseball. What is your thoughts on the on the tournament system? Because obviously we are special with the the pod system, and obviously pretty much the higher seed just has to not lose the tiebreaker game slash. Obviously, you just win both, and you're kind of in kind of thing. What what, what are your all's thoughts? Because obviously the the logic is to save arms. That's kind of the big thing, and and hopefully not to you know, I guess cannibalize yourself in the in the conference tournament, but. What are your guys' thoughts on it? I think it's an interesting discussion. I actually noticed the other day that the SEC next year is going to just a single elimination tournament straight through. All 16 teams make it, and it's just a single elimination tournament. So, um, again, you know, that you're not going to save many arms playing a tournament like that in a week. But I, I don't love the pod system because, um, you know, I, I do like an underdog story. And like you said, the higher seed, they have such an advantage. So, uh, you know, they, they win a game and that's about all it takes to get to get through in advance. So uh, I, I don't know the answer, but like you said, it, adding the two teams next year, there, there's going to have to be some change as long as we don't go to something stupid like the SEC used to have where it was single elimination, then double elimination, then back to single elimination. And nobody knew what the hell was going all week long. Um, as long as they don't do something like that, I'm OK. But um, I, I would like to see them. Um, adjust that that way it's a little bit more fair playing field for all teams that are in the conference tournament yeah I, I agree with Matt I, I've never really given much thought to it you know the system that we have going right now um, I'm not really sure there is one right answer for for what to do and I don't love the the group stage system that we have now but also I don't know how I feel about the single elimination 
system that the SEC just set up too. So I don't really know what the answer is. I'm glad I'm not in a position to have to make that decision with the addition <laughs> of Stanford and Cal. But, you know, I I guess guess we'll see what happens next year. Yeah, I've always, I've always, I mean, it it obviously kind of makes it harder because you have so many more teams. But I don't know if you guys follow college hockey, but a lot of college hockey postseason tournaments is they do three rounds and obviously it's a weekend stuff it's crazy how they do but they have three weekends where it's best two out of three so they take eight of their 10 teams 11 teams and they do you know a full series and i've always loved that because it kind of it helps weed out some of those like that again that like the single elimination i i I am personally against that because you know you might have this weird again you get the right guy on the right time and you just again like we we we've we've seen upsets before. I'm a Virginia basketball fan. I I know what it can happen in one game. Um. So, you know, yeah, I, I kind of agree with you all there. And my only complaint about the pods is just sometimes you get that favorable, like the number one seed gets to play on Friday and Saturday or Thursday and Friday. They can see what happened on Wednesday and go, oh well, the lower seed won that game. So all we have to do is just beat the higher seed in this situation. And tiebreaker says it's us. You know, so it's always. <laughs> You know, I've never really liked the whole if we win the first game, then we can just kind of rest the second game kind of thing, because it's just again, I like I want you to compete, not that these kids don't compete when they're out there. But, you know, I want to see the number two guy throw against the number two team in their their pool. So sometimes you don't get to see that. Well, that's kind of all I've got for you all. Nick, is there. Is there anything you want to add? I mean, obviously, we're talking about the number one team in the Atlantic Division that wears red and black. It's not NC State. Nick, you're 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 back <laughs> up to that one. But you know, is there anything, Nick, you want to ask these guys? Anything else you got for them? Um, give me a series and a midweek game you both are most looking forward to, or that's kind of like living in your head right now that you're excited to watch. Aaron, you can take that one first. I was hoping you'd take it first. I had to go pull up the schedule real quick. I'll, I'll, I'll answer it because I only I did I did a study of the schedule earlier. I will say selfishly, midweek, I'm definitely excited for that May seventh game in Vanderbilt. I'm going to be there, so that's part of it. But I mean, that I, I anytime ACC SEC lines up, and I think it's cheating to almost be like, oh yeah, give me the Kentucky game because well, clearly it's a rivalry game. It's going to be played twice. I want that, and I know Vandy's a rivalry too. Is isn't there like a trophy they play for? Yeah, the battle battle of the barrel they play for. It's, it's a yeah, it, it's pretty cool. Um, I, I'm glad that Coach Mack and Coach Corbin started that years ago. It's and mm-hmm. it, it's always a really competitive game. That mm-hmm. seems like it doesn't matter how bad or good either team are. It, it seems like it's just a really competitive game. Those teams teams get after it. Don't, they don't treat it like it's a midweek game. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think it's um, that one's a lot of fun. Obviously like you said, the Kentucky games, but, you know, we're, we're 14 and three over the last 17 against them. So that doesn't really, uh, we don't really pay much attention to those. Um, as far as ACC though, and this probably sounds simple, but, uh, or cliche, but just the Wake Forest series, just because I think they're the, they're the best of the best and you, you want to see how you stack up against them. Uh, you know, so going down, um, going down to Winston-Salem just to see how we respond in a, um, hostile environment like that and I, I think that could be um, a really important series to see what the trajectory of the back half of the schedule looks like for Louisville this year and that's the if you guys are going to be in Winston let me know I'll be at probably two at least two of those games so okay I said, well, my, 
we're talking about going to some away games this year. I, we haven't, my wife and I haven't really decided which ones, but uh, once we do, we'll we'll hit you all up and see if you're going to be there. Yeah, yeah. I think, and if I'm not mistaken, correct me if I'm wrong, that is your first true road series. I mean, I know, I know you play South Florida at South Florida in that opening tournament, but that is obviously like a three-team tournament, so it's two neutral and a road game. That's your first true road series, right? So, I mean, it that's is. even even by itself, like you don't even factor in who you're playing. It's like, well, let's see how this team, you know, handles an, an environment. And then you're going to be yeah. running into the number well, – we'll see if they're number one at that time, but at this time, the unanimous number one team in the country, and that's your first road series. You know, obviously your, your ACC opener is Virginia Tech, and depending on how you look at this Hokies team, I mean, hopefully you win that series. Right now I would say that I think you're better than Virginia Tech, so – you know, there's a lot that, you know, that, like you said, it's kind of your first, not true test because you have some non-con games that'll test you, but it's your first true, like, can this team win a regional type of, you know, thought process. So I, I obviously I'm biasly leaning for the Virginia series because I got to see how you match up with the who's plus I want to see how Virginia matches up on the road at Louisville, but that's a, that's a obviously great choice. What, what are you thinking, Aaron? Are you kind of on the same, uh, save wave, save wavelength? Oh, wavelength. <laughs> For sure, yeah, I'm definitely going to take Wake Forest for my weekend series, and then just a couple of midweeks that kind of stick out to me. First one is Lipscomb, which might sound very weird, but for <laughs> whatever reason, <laughs> we've struggled with Lipscomb for the last couple of years. We always seem to, to drop that random midweek game to Lipscomb. We've got them twice this year on back-to-back days. Absolutely cannot drop those games, and then. I want to look ahead to May. We have a home game against uh, Indiana, and Indiana is a squad that has really come on over the last couple of years. Out of the Big Ten, I I do think that they've got a very, very good team this year. Um, not to mention, I made the trip to, to IU for that game last year, had a miserable time, did not get along with their fans at all, so... Now that now that we're back at home against Indiana this year, I'm I'm hoping to to whoop up on them because we we dropped that game as well last year. So, I I you know that that game definitely excites me as well. I I think overall though, just we we absolutely have to to win these midweek games that seemingly we've struggled with the last couple of years. Yeah, I'm surprised you don't play them more than once in a season. It feels like I mean, is what probably about an hour and a half two hours probably trip for, for, for them. I mean, yeah. I just assumed it would have been that. And like, you don't even play Purdue. You know, I, it's, I'm always surprised. Like it's, it's such a weird, you know, what schools get paired with who in terms of like your kind of consistent midweek teams. Again, you said Lipsa comes one. I'm assuming Western Kentucky is probably a pretty regular mm-hmm. one all too. But yeah, it's. We actually scrimmaged Purdue as one of our fall scrimmages last year. Yeah, and so, I, that's, that was got me a little bit excited about this Louisville team too. My friend's actually the director of baseball operations there, so he was like, "Yeah, this Louisville team." I mean, obviously, you know, he's not to slander Purdue, but you know, obviously, he's speaking from the light of middle of the pack Big Ten, which our friends at the College Baseball Central podcast call them a mid-major conference. I don't know if you guys have heard their take on. Yeah. Still one of my still one of my favorite things is. I mean, I've I've always kind of thought to myself because I when I, I used to live in Nebraska, so I'd go to the Big Ten tournament, and unless Iowa or Nebraska was playing, there were twelve people there. So I kind of got the vibe that the Big Ten and in baseball kind of weren't you know together on the like excitement train. But I mean, I would never have the courage to actually like tweet out, "Hey, this is a mid-major baseball conference." <laughs> but uh, I'd love to take no matter what. 
Um, it's funny you talk about Indiana too, because I think uh, us not playing Indiana, Kentucky and Indiana, they stopped their series because oh. of the um, regional last year where they got in the fights and whatnot. So they they um, decided not to play each other going forward. So kind of interesting. There, there there was some beef on Twitter about that not too long ago. Wasn't that wasn't it? Can was it Kentucky last year too that had that regional where they they didn't do like the hotels or something? They put them all in the like they, they put them in the charge yeah. an arm and the leg for like literally the not worst accommodation because there are worse out there, but like the horror stories you hear at the Olympics kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sounds about right. That's it's a very SEC thing to do. Let's yeah, you know, it just means <laughs> yeah, the, more whatever yeah. that was. But, yeah, they put them up in in dorms on campus, and not not the nice dorms on campus. And uh, yeah, like you said, they they charge them arm and a leg, and uh, that, I think that's kind of what started all of it. And then it just carried over from there onto the field, and then it yeah, and they played three times during that regional, so uh, you know they they had a lot of exposure to each other. Yeah, it's uh, it's sad when sometimes their own just animosity can get in the way. Because I mean, that would have been fun, you know, a fun little thing, but. Awesome guys. Well, I think that's all I've got. I, I really appreciate your your all's time. Um, will we will will I run into you if I'm up at the Virginia Louisville series? Will will you all be? I'm assuming kind of boots on the ground for these games. I know I'm sure you probably missed a couple of them. It's hard to go to yeah. thirty some home games, but right. I'm assuming if I'm there on a Friday Saturday, I'll catch you at least at one. We try to go to as many as possible. Aaron lives actually. I'm out near St. Louis, so he um, he oh. comes in when when he can. Um, I live about an hour from Louisville, about 45 minutes. So we go up. I go up quite a bit. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, if you're coming for the games, definitely hit me up, and we'll uh, we'll get together and watch the game. Yeah, absolutely. No, I'm I'm super excited for this team. I mean, we we're not doing a a podcast on every single team, but I told I begged and pleaded with Nick that we do a Louisville one because. <laughs> Again, maybe, maybe again, my heart is just trying to to tell me that Louisville not in the postseason was wrong last year. But I'm just so I, I'm just so excited to see what this team can be. And I know I already I put in my phone four games for pretty much or not in my phone, but like in my notes, four games that I want to watch pretty much every weekend series that I have ETSU stuff because I'm the marketing guy, so I just play the music so I can kind of have a like a screen kind of in the corner. <laughs> and I'm very excited for that Indiana State game to start the season. So it's probably the most exciting opener game in the ACC. So at the very minimum, you guys will have a couple eyes on you from outside of Louisville fan territory. But really appreciate you all. I would like to to give you a chance now. Please plug all of your stuff, your social medias, your podcasts. I want all of our listeners to to find you, listen to you, follow you, because again, you're not going to get any better Louisville baseball insight than from these guys. Yeah, I appreciate that. Uh, you can find all of our stuff on Twitter um, at Third and Central Pod, uh, and we put all of our stuff on there. Um, Aaron runs the Louisville baseball alumni account, like he talked about. Earlier, he you know keeps up with all the guys in the pros. I always tell him he's got a staff of three people uh, to keep up with all of them, but he's the only one that does it. I don't know how he how he does it himself, but uh, like I said, we've just been uh, diving deep into the season. Just record about an hour and a half the other night of a uh, uh, dive into this uh, 2024 season. So we took it position by position, just super in depth, uh, talking about you know every player on the roster. Essentially, that, that's just what we do. We uh, eat, breathe, and sleep this stuff. So. Um, yeah, follow us on Twitter. Uh, find our podcast. We're on Apple Podcast, Spotify. Um, yeah, just we'd appreciate a listen. 
Aaron, where can they find you? I know uh, we have the Louisville baseball alumni, but is there any personals you want to plug or anything you want to plug? Well, I'm I honestly not really totally active on my my personal accounts. Like Matt said, if you want to follow me on the Louisville baseball alumni page, it'd be greatly appreciated. Do put a lot of time and, and effort into that, but absolutely love it. Um, like Matt said, would really appreciate listens on the, the third and central pod and really appreciate you guys having us on tonight. Yeah. It's I'm really interested in your uh, alumni page because la- last year I put out a, a, you know, bored in the summer, not a lot of content. So I did this whole thing on our page of MLB draft picks from all the ACC teams and Louisville just had so many pro guys. So I'm very interested in that. So I respect that you take the time to do that kind of thing because I would do that kind of thing too. So that's really cool. I love that, Aaron. Thank you. Yeah. Awesome. Well, guys, thank you again so much for your time. Again, make sure you go check them out. They they were kind enough to answer my DM to hop on the show <laughs> on a Tuesday night. It's pretty, pretty late hour. I guess, Aaron, it's not too bad for you since you're central time, but – I don't know if you're essential time too, Matt, but you said you're 45 minutes. So I'm guessing probably not. No, it's your time. Yeah. Obviously, it's not super late, but you know, I'm an old man. So 10 o'clock is pretty close to a late night for me. But I appreciate you all again. As always, it means just a little bit less here in ACC country and go ACC.